0: Welcome to Outlaws. This is a podcast where we interview former lawyers who've moved on to cooler things. I'm Claire Lim, your host of this podcast. I practiced law for three years before quitting with nothing lined up to explore other careers. I've done stints in policy research, e-commerce, and I'm now a strategy consultant. With perfect hindsight, there are many things I would have done differently. I could not have made my career shift without the generosity of friends and strangers who gave their time to help me on my journey. My aim through this podcast is to give as much honest insight as possible into the career journeys of others, their triumphs, worries, setbacks, vision and advice, especially for those contemplating the transition from a legal career. I've spoken to many frustrated lawyers or confused law students who have reached out to me for advice. But I can only reach so many. My hope is that this podcast will give you a fuller picture of life after the law from the lived experiences of others. Today I'm speaking to Amanda, an investment professional at a Southeast Asian private equity firm on her journey from law student to the world of finance. Mm
1: Hi everyone, my name is Amanda. I'm currently working in private equity. So my private equity firm is part of a larger uh, financial group uh, called the Huang Capital Group. I actually uh, graduated with a law degree from the University of Bristol um, back in 2015 and then after that, decided to um, pivot into the world of finance instead.
0: You went to university to do a law degree and obviously that is quite different from where you are right now. So could you take us back a little bit to your thinking at the time when you decided to apply for a law degree and also while you were doing your law degree how did that fit in with your career goals and uh, motivations
1: yeah sure Um, yeah I think it's quite important maybe now to um, delve a little bit into why I decided to pursue a law degree in the first place so um, I think you know in general throughout school I've never really been a person that was good in one thing so a lot of my classmates, they were experts in math or science or English, right? But I was just pretty good in everything, right? But never excellent. So growing up, I never knew um what I wanted to do, right? And then during college, I actually took legal studies uh, as one of my subject, and for some reason, I did very well on that. And then and then that that made me think, okay, maybe I found my calling. Finally, I'm good at excellent at one thing, right? Instead of just pretty okay and good at everything. So, um. So, so that piqued my interest. And then uh, I also pretty got pretty interested in politics as well as, um, you know, like social activism, started finding out a little bit more about that. Uh, and that also, uh, you know, kind of accelerated my interest to be a lawyer because uh, it made me realise that people who are appointed to be... Um, politicians uh, are, are members of the parliament and then they make the law so I thought okay if I wanted to pursue something in that region I, I should study law um, so due to those factors I decided to apply uh, for a law degree in university in, in the UK and and it was it was interesting, but it was not really what I had in mind, I think. Um, so there was a misalignment of expectations. And then I thought, okay, throughout my university, I better do some internships so that I can get a real sense of what it's like to work in a law firm. Uh, and during that period, I took up maybe about, I think I calculated right before this chat with you, seven internships, actually. Um, and, and I did it in, in various law firms. So like small law firms, large law firms in Malaysia, in the UK, in Singapore. And every single time I, I completed the internship, I realized that I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and then when it came to my final year of university, um, you know, I, I thought very long and very hard about whether I wanted to do the bar. Uh, it was not cheap because it was going to be in London. And I was really half-hearted about, about law at that point in time. So I decided that, um, I wanted to, in a way, cut laws early. Uh, and, and then I, I started looking into other career options, which is uh, kind of where I ended up today.
0: One of your main reasons for going to law was this you know, interest in political activism. How did you feel that your law degree and your career as a lawyer after that wouldn't be able to help you pursue this interest? I mean, did you, first of all, did you feel that it wouldn't help you pursue this interest? Or or secondly, did that interest sort of fall away as you uh, progressed through your law degree?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think the first one, uh, whether the law degree, I think the law degree acts as a um, a platform you know for you to to understand what uh, a politician does better. But I think what really um, opened my eyes was when I did an internship with a politician as well. So I think if you if you haven't get it by right now, I did tons of internship, which I highly recommend you know for, for young people right just to to really get a sense of what you're getting into. And um, after the internship I realized that with, with the politician, um, I realized that the law is just a super, small part of it and there are so many other things that you need to be great at um, which includes the word in itself um, being good at politicking and that was the part that I think really put me off and also um, the, the idealism I think faded away through time uh, when I realized that a lot of things that I wanted to pursue was just very challenging in, in my capacity as firstly a female and also secondly um, you know not, not really understanding grassroots very well.
0: So what kind of work were you doing as an internship do you remember?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did quite a range. So I, I went to like family law firms as well as the large, typical corporate law firms that you'll be familiar with. I've also tried uh, in house legal uh, at that point in time, and and the work is typically research, uh, research on case law, you know, writing up memos. And then I, I sat into a couple of drafting meetings where, you know, it's a lot of arguing and nitpicking about every single word that, that goes into the agreement. And I, I just didn't find a lot of excitement, I think, during that process.
0: How did you feel when? you realized that law was really not something that you wanted to pursue um,
1: I think it was difficult because some I think some backstory to that is that I, I would actually have been the first lawyer in my family not just immediate family but even my entire extended family and you know I think there was also a lot of prestige coming from a UK university so you know coming to to my family members and telling them this was uh, I felt it was a huge disappointment uh, to them and, and also a huge burden but you know I think it's fantastic that I have very supportive parents who who, who really just wanted me to pursue things that I was interested in. So it took me, you know, maybe a good two to three months to master the confidence and courage to just tell them that, look, I don't think I want to do this. And also, you know, not want to help you save a ton of money. And they, they were very, very supportive, you know, as long as, I kind of had a few ideas on what I wanted to do, so it wasn't a case where I went to them saying like I don't really know what to do, and I'm just going to relax, right? And and figure it out. Uh, I I did give them a couple of ideas.
0: So how did you come up with these ideas? I think
1: two ways. One is talking to people, so being able to reach out to my seniors in university and talking to some uh, of my relatives, that helped. And I think number two is really just writing down a list of what I think I enjoy. As I said earlier, I I enjoy like looking at businesses you are thinking about how they operate. Uh, So I I did have some interest in that. And then, but I I wanted to do something a little bit more general, simply because it was a shift and I wasn't too sure yet about what I wanted. So then I I thought about certain professions that could give me that. And and I made a a very short list and then tried to pursue that.
0: So when you started off with your first job, uh, you were a corporate strategy at a bank. Um, Was that part of a grand plan that you had already set out? Or was it just an opportunity came up um, and you took it?
1: Yeah, so I mean that there was a funny backstory to that. So I, I was being a typical graduate, you know, kind of freaking out not being employed within the first month, which I just want to let everyone know is completely normal, don't worry. Um and and I you know, I was just sending out tons of applications to uh many banks, many consulting firms, um, to do like graduate programs because I thought I wanted to do something general, right? Uh and and I sent one to actually uh, my current workplace, which was the Afin Huang Group, and they offered me a position in HR. Human resources, which wasn't really what I was looking for, um, and and I declined them. So I said, oh, okay, thank you, but uh, that's not really what I want to do." So they kind of left my CV on a, on a tray, right? Um, which was, uh, which which people could walk past and, and look at it. So one of my previous colleagues kind of walked past and saw the CV, and he picked up. He said, "Oh, okay, this seems this seems like an interesting sort of background. Uh, maybe I should reach out to this person." And and he called me. And that's where I ended up today, right? So, so you know, I think some, it's just really funny how life plays out. You know, sometimes you, you can plan as much as you want, but these opportunities just pop up as well. And then, you know, you just, you just take it one day at a time as well.
0: It, it sounds like you put a lot of work into applications and, and all this. Um, and did you, quote unquote, pull strings to get mm-hmm. into this position? Because, you know, some a lot of people may not have that sort of network connection to, to this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, uh, that, that's a great question. And I'm quite happy you asked that. Um, honestly, because of what happened, what happened, right? Uh, because of me going to my family members and telling them I don't want to do it anymore. I did feel that I had a lot to prove to, to show them that I could move and pivot on my own. So I was pretty adamant uh, to myself to not uh, use any personal network or connections because I just felt I had a lot to prove on, on that front, right? To convince them that I made the right decision and that I deserve to be where I want to be, right? So um, to answer your question, actually, I did not. With perfect hindsight, would you have done something differently? Um, I would not, actually. Uh, I think I was very lucky because of, of the story I told you earlier, right? Uh, but I, I do note that not everyone is that, that lucky um, to have, you know, some, someone up there kind of smiling at them and, and having someone walk past and, and see your CV by accident right so um, I mean use all you can uh, if, if, that's award- if that's afforded to you that, that's just what I, I would advise mm-hmm. yeah
0: and uh, I guess you just want to move along a little bit more to where you are today so right now you are uh, in a PE fund in quite a senior role as well so how did you get there from your uh, role in um, corporate strategy
1: yeah, yeah, I think, um, you know, I started off in the corporate strategy team and setting up the private equity business for the group was, was one of the strategies for the team. And we pursued uh, that with, with, you know, applying for licenses and everything. And eventually the, the strategy team moved uh, on to the private equity entity that was spun off from the group.
0: When you first went into private equity, this is also quite different from corporate strategy. So what was the learning curve like and the key challenges that you can remember?
1: Yeah, so learning curve um, is exceptionally steep. I would say, uh, because there's suddenly uh, all these jargons that I've never heard before, Uh, you know, valuation multiples, structuring of deals, um, how companies operate. So it's really, um, I would say, learning from from scratch. Uh, But I I was pretty lucky in a sense where I had good mentors around me. Um, And also I was pursuing the CFA at the same time. So that gave me a little bit of base on, um, you know, financial knowledge. Um, The other thing that I I was very... um, very disciplined and consistent about was that every weekend I would actually read The Age, the, the business new pa- newspaper, and that really helped shape my view on Malaysian corporate uh, news and, and the landscape. So, so that helped build the foundation. I think these are all like work in progress because the world of PE is just very dynamic and there's always new companies coming up, new ways to structure deals, and, and you just need to always be curious uh, and always want to learn about how, how to solve all those things. Yeah, I think in terms of your the second part of your question on key challenges, um, I've never really been a very uh, numerical person. So so the numbers part still trips me up a bit until today. Um, but I think it, it's just, I think there, there are some things where you're naturally you're actually a little bit better at and there's are some things where you just if you practice enough you can uh, I won't say fake it till you make it but you know you you can sort of reach a point where you are decent enough and I think that's what I've done over the years to just hone that skill to a point where it's it's on a pretty acceptable level at the
0: moment. I mean you know people we see in PE are usually have they usually have a finance or engineering economics um, background so did you feel that your legal background was a disadvantage in this case? Um, no, I would say
1: definitely not, because a lot of transactions are mainly governed by legal agreements, so it does help to have that legal mindset. And and I think I only realised this towards the end of closing of transactions, where where it made me, again, realize how important lawyers are and how how amazing they are to be able to craft all these documents up. So I think that that does help. And, you know, in, in many firms, they only hire, as you said, finance graduates and, and occasionally engineering graduates. But, you know, in the world of private equity, because you, you tend to delve into so many different types of industries and do a range of work, it actually helps uh, tremendously to have different people from different academic backgrounds at the table. So I think um, I, I was able to offer that. To, to my firm as well as, you know, with our different portfolio companies, so when when we're discussing different good enough at a lot of different things, that's how you are able to connect with your entire company, your you know your your partners and and so on and so forth.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I get a sense that you are quite humble about a lot of your skill sets, although they are very impressive. So um, just to let the audience know, Amanda just completed her CFA, so congratulations. I still wonder if you feel any sort of lack of confidence in your skills in in your day-to-day job? Uh, I think
1: that does happen definitely time and time again, especially when you're you know at the same table with someone who's from a big brand name, uh, you know, big big investment bank, and and you tend to feel that okay maybe I don't des- deserve this seat here, um, you know, uh, and and you know I I didn't go through that that typical route, uh, I only had a law degree. Does it count for much, right? Um, but I think you know, over time, it is also something that we need to actively work on to actively kind of remind ourselves that we do have a lot of accomplishments, and we do we we are different, and we are different enough to be able to have someone actually give us the seat here today. You know, no one. I think one one kind of principle that I live by is that no one really gets anywhere without someone actually giving them a chance. Right, so someone saw something in you to allow you to have that seat and to allow you to have that voice, and don't don't invalidate that person's confidence in you. Right, so um, try to I I try to work on that very very frequently, um, so that you know I I kind of clear my headspace and and make make space for more important things instead. Yeah, although although admittedly it's, it's challenging sometimes. Mm.
0: It sounds like you've done a lot of reflecting, you know, since you've left university to come on to, to try all these different career paths and invest in yourself and actually build up the confidence to succeed in different fields. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about investing in yourself. Like, What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about transitioning from a legal career, say, into something in the area of finance? What would they need to invest in to be able to make that transition.
1: Yeah, so I think that if someone is committed, you know, let's say if they are currently a law student, they they really know for sure they want to get into investment bank. Make sure you know more than the average person that wants to get to investment bank. And that is the investment that you have to make into yourself. Because, you know, as I said earlier, that no one, uh, really gets anywhere without someone giving you a chance. So the moment someone says, hey, I, I would like to interview you, right? Whether you pull the strings, whether you have not, whatever the case is, right? It's you, still on you to, to be able to show them that you are committed to this and you know even more and, and you can justify your presence there even more so than... A very typical elastic uh, person that wants to get into investment bank who has a finance degree, right? So you, you need to set yourself up for, for success and you can only do that with your own effort of putting the work in and uh, making sure you know so much that someone can't deny you of that position.
0: And when you say know so much, it's all the knowledge that you can gain by yourself.
1: Correct, yeah. So, uh, of course, always, you know, pull on who you know, right? So if you know, like, let's say using the investment banking example, if you know a senior investment banker within your family, your friends, your friends, siblings, right? Don't be shy, just ask, you know, like the worst thing that they can say is, sorry, I'm too busy. And then, okay, fine, you move on to the next person. And in fact, right, um, sometimes you don't even need to touch on your own personal network. I, I always get tons of messages from people I've never met saying, hi, Amanda, can I have a 10-minute Zoom call with you? Um, just want to learn more. About private equity, right? And that's completely normal. So some days I'm just, I just can't do it. My, my schedule doesn't allow me to, but some days I, I say, sure, why not, right? And they're able to find out more about what PE is from someone who actually works in PE. And I,
0: I you know, I, I sure hope that's
1: helpful to them to help them decide what they want to do for themselves.
0: So when you say reach out to people, is it just via LinkedIn or any other platform?
1: Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the easiest because you, you can, you know someone, you can see the person's background right? You, so so usually the people that reach out to me, they are law students themselves, right? They say, oh, I noticed you did law and you're, you're in PE now, right? I really want to know how you ended up there. Um, and and which is why it's, it's great for us to be speaking today, because maybe this can help reach a wider audience instead of me doing, you know, what this one-on-ones with them, right? And I, I also have a lot of friends who tell me that they get reached out to quite frequently. And, and like I said, you know, the worst thing that you can get is someone that says, sorry, I'm a little bit too busy, but you don't know, reach out to 10. Even if you get one, that's
0: that's good enough. That's better than zero. Zero. Have you seen any results, like you know, tangible results from someone who's reached out to you? And wow, now they actually had uh, got a job in finance or private equity.
1: Mm, yeah. So I, I do, I do have two two individuals who are now who have now turned to friends, right? And they both ended up in consulting. So the way that they they spoke to me was not so much that. Uh, they Okay, so the way that they spoke to me was one, they wanted to know if they should get into PE and two, they wanted to know how it feels like to move out of law. So the first part is is kind of deciding whether that's the right path for them. And the second one is, you know, I think a little bit more of how do I talk to my parents or how, how do I break, this, uh, break, break the news to my my boss, my friends, right? And and yeah, you know, I'm very happy to hear that, that the two of them have found a career that they actually want to pursue and I'm able to offer them,
0: you know, a, a little advice uh, along the way. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really good. Um, congratulations! <laughs> congratulations <laughs> to them. <laughs> yeah, for you know being able to find out what they want to do,
1: right? I think they were both, unfortunately, quite desperately unhappy uh, at that point of time. So to be able to just see them feeling a lot more relaxed the next time I saw them was mm. it, it really made me feel very happy uh, to see that.
0: And these two people, they were mid-career uh, transitions.
1: Yeah. So, so one was someone who just graduated a few months into his first job, and second one was mm. yeah mid career, maybe about two years mm. into law. Mm.
0: Yeah. And that's actually quite interesting because I want to talk a bit more about the different challenges that um, a fresh grad and a mid career professional faces when they decide to uh, leave law. Do you know what the different, um, yeah, what what the difference is basically? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a very good analogy to put
1: this is, it's kind of like dating, right? So, you know, it, it's very different when you've dated someone for six months and you've dated someone for six years. You know, when, when it's six years, you feel like there's pressure to kind of get married, um, you know, have kids, have your whole life kind of tied down to this person. And, and I think to to switch, that, um, to switch that into the context of law, um, the dating for six months, you can kind of break up and, and move on and find someone else. But even and you've been kind of dating for six years, right? There's pressure to be partner. You've built your entire um, knowledge base uh, just within the law. Um, and and you've built your track record, your context, um, and your identity even in a way, uh, your career identity as, as a lawyer. So to break apart from that and to really cut in a way, cut loss and start from scratch. I think that's very painful and difficult, especially if you're in the face of life where you're even thinking about paying bigger bills, right? And to be able to want to take a pay cut to do something else differently. Because I think it'll be, sometimes it's, it's just quite difficult to expect, um, you know, let's say another industry to take you in at the same level, at the same salary, because you don't have those skills yet. And, and I think that part of it is the most challenging letting go, essentially, of what you've built for yourself over the last few years.
0: So Amanda, I want to know what motivates you when you're choosing your career.
1: Uh, I would say there are many three main areas uh, that I look at. I think, firstly, most important to me are good mentors and good bosses at at the workplace, right? I think that, you know, a lot of people, the number one reason that most people quit their roles is because they have bad bosses that either don't treat them well or don't treat them fairly. So that is, number one, very key to me. I think number two is the learning opportunity that I would have. So, you know, I'm someone that likes to learn a lot of new things and I kind of get bored quite easily, uh, which is why a a role like private equity or even, you know, like management consulting, I think those those suit me quite well because you, you tend to touch a, a range of different industries, right? So, so that w- what I'll be looking for. And third is actually, you know, also I think financial security. This also comes from the fact where I think I've mentioned earlier that in many ways, I still feel like I, I need to make up to my parents for, for doing this shift, right? And if it doesn't pay me, um, you know, what I think is fair or what I think is, is sufficient, then it's hard for me to consider and to justify it within uh, for myself as well as for uh, my parents. Uh, because of of that shift that I wanted to make.
0: And it's interesting that you say that about that wanting to prove to your parents that this shift was worthwhile. Do you feel that it's a pressure that you've put on yourself or is it something they've actually expressed to you?
1: I think it's definitely the first one, right? Uh, I think my parents are... Very actually relaxed people um, that that you know have always let me do what what I, I want as long as you know I live a comfortable life right although I, I'm sure that's a very subjective way uh subjective term but but you know I I, I would be fine uh, I think I have definitely put Paul this onto myself because I felt very, very guilty I think of um you know making that shift right simply because you know among my siblings I'm actually the only one that went abroad to university and even you know among my my cousins from from one side. Of my family I'm also the only one that went abroad to university so it was a very huge financial sacrifice that that um, my parents especially my mother I guess made uh, for me to to pursue this and to you know have to tell them that okay you know sorry but all that money that you spent I decided to do something else right I felt awful actually um, because I, I wasn't sure what would come out of it but you know I'm very 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 lucky and thankful that my parents you know especially my mom is supportive enough and and you know believes in me enough to know that whatever I decide to do I will do my best and I will go somewhere right so she, she's always said that you know I okay fine if you don't want to do law um, it's a little bit disappointing but I'm pretty sure you land on your feet right so for her to have that confidence in me I don't want to um, you know give her reasons to to not have that confidence in me anymore um, so it's definitely 100% self Imposed, right? Um, but I think that uh, it's only fair to to her,
0: especially that that I do well. And how much of a part do other people's expectations, besides your family, factor into the way you've chosen your career?
1: Um. Yeah, I think over time that has definitely declined, right? What um, people might think about what career I do, uh, whether it's friends or even, um, you know, more extended relatives, right? Uh, I think initially when, when I was earlier in my career, I was quite sensitive. Uh, I was always, you know, I was always the person that didn't have like a professional title. So I wasn't a lawyer or a banker. I was just, you know, doing like kind of strategy in in a firm, you know, corporate strategy, so it, it did kind of affect my confidence a little bit and and you know a lot of my friends were going to big brand names like the bulge bracket banks and and you know the McKinsey, Bain, BCG and I you know it, it also made me doubt myself a little bit like am, am I good enough to ever go into those sort of places but I think over time I realized that it's also not as it seems uh there there are a lot of pros and cons at working at anywhere. And you kind of just have to find a place that suits you, um, suits what you're looking for. And as long as your expectations and your goals are met, I think you will be pretty happy overall. When I think about my future now, um, I don't, I, I basically factor in very little about what um, other people might might perceive me as, right? And, and I don't make decisions based on that anymore. Uh, I used, I, I will admit that I used to quite heavily. But now, you know, I think that i'm trying to develop, trying to develop my own identity and my own personality and style and and i think that that is what a lot of happy people and successful people tend to do and when i say successful i don't mean just you know uh, monetary wise right like successful in life you're just a balanced person that lives a contented life and it's because they have found ways to value themselves and they found ways to develop strong communities and strong relationships with people around them and, and for me that that's a lot more important than just doing things to impress people I feel like I, I have actively stayed away from that, you know, especially working uh, very much on that for the last, I think, two to three years, especially.
0: So what would you say to a frustrated lawyer who's thinking of leaving the law?
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think the, the first one is always to um, maybe answer the question of, why are you feeling this way? Try to really figure out the root cause of the problem, right? So, you know, I think the, the reason I say that is because maybe you're upset because you have a horrible boss. So is the issue then changing the boss or changing the firm, right? And, and moving somewhere else. Um, is it the work that you hate? or the people that are around you. And I think if you can kind of identify that very clearly, then you can look at the next step as to what to do. Um, and, and sometimes also, you know, it's, it's not about, oh, my boss is horrible, therefore I want to leave. It can also be a dialogue with uh, speaking to to the person that's managing you and, and also giving them a chance to explain why they do certain things, right? Because um, I think as as a junior, you might not understand that. And there are a lot of reasons why bosses act a certain way, and Not and not just because they want to be mean to you. Uh, I think I've learned that over time, as well Um, but okay so assuming that let's say you you have um, thought about it and you say okay no you know my my boss is just horrible or you know like the the work that I'm doing just doesn't interest me then it's about figuring out what exactly you want to do I think this is the toughest part because there are just so many options out there today Uh, I think in this day and age, there are tons of companies that you can explore right And, and companies are also being more open to taking on people from different backgrounds just because they appreciate diversity now and um, you know, I think this is where uh, again, right, speak to as many people as you can. There is free firstly and people are more you know sometimes they're more willing to help than you think right and the worst thing I think that you can have is just an answer that says sorry I'm too busy or sorry I can't do it and then you just move on to the next person. And I think after speaking to all these people out there and and then maybe you can then zoom in and, and make a short list about what you really want to do. And I think that also has to come with a lot of realization that it will be difficult. In terms of learning from scratch again, and also probably taking a pay cut, right, on that front. But I think you know when we think about uh, our career, it's a very, very, very long journey. Sometimes, uh, as a you know twenties sort of person, you think that oh my god, like you know is is this this is it? Like I don't know what I'm going to do next, right? But I think we forget that careers generally span for you know even onwards of forty years. That's a massively long time. And I've been working for five years, right? That's, that's just over 10% of my career uh, lifespan, right? And there's another 90% left to go. And do you really want to spend the rest of 90% because you spend your 10% um, building that foundation up, right? I'll say that it's never, I would I say it's never too late, but again, I'm very conscious of the privileged position that that you know I'm in where I, I'm able to, you know, I, I'm able to make more flexible decisions because you know I don't have a child yet, I don't have to pay certain bills like mortgages rent and all of that but if if you know that that situation doesn't permit to you then it's a it's a real question of asking yourself whether it is a trade-off that you're willing to to take at this point in time in your
0: life some people um would try to shortcut that sort of pain and pay cut and everything by doing if they can afford it uh further education like an mba or maybe you know trying to get their cfa um so that they have some sort of skill set instead of before they jump how do you feel about that
1: yeah um so yeah i think mba is an interesting question something that i personally have considered as well except that it's ridiculously expensive right (laughs) especially if you want to go to the the schools in the u.s they're they're close to you need to have at least a million ringgit uh, ready for that i would say that um you know i think that and those for the education right it helps you open doors but would I want to spend so much money? Uh, okay, let's say in the case of an MBA, right? Would I want to spend so much money and also opportunity cost, you know, at two years, is it is, is a good amount of time uh, to build your career and build some network. Uh, to then have those things, the money, the time cost to open a door for me. Is that worth it? Uh, I think after time has passed, I feel that it's not. If you're doing an, a further education because you really want to learn, you really want to like live, let's say, in another country and, and immerse yourself in you know, a room where everyone is hungry for knowledge and hungry to learn more, I would say it's a good idea, but if it's to advance your career, I think there are more efficient ways to go about that, which is just reaching out to your network. That's one. Um, and also just figuring out what you want instead of hoping that the MBA can help you figure that out. The MBA is not going to help you figure that out. It can probably give you a little bit more of a sense, but it's still all within you instead. <laughs> yeah, but I guess if you, if you want to talk about the, the CFA, um, CFA is of course a lot cheaper, right? And and you can do it while you're working. So I did my entire CFA while, while I was working. You know, I, I never took... Uh, i only took like you know a week off before exams and i'll say that um even then don't uh, i would strongly advise anyone to not bank on the cfa to get you your next job it it, it may op- help you open a little bit of doors especially if you want to do investments but for it to get you a, a job um i'm not sure if, if that really lends you that much weight
0: actually <laughs> but if 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 say an MBA or a finance degree or whatever it is, is the filter to get into the door and you don't have that, besides reaching out to your network, what other things can people do to sort of upskill themselves? Mm,
1: Yeah, I mean, um, there are a lot of courses, I guess, nowadays online that you can try and, and, you know, read or... Even do like you know even YouTube has a lot of free ones actually if you, if if you don't wanna mm-hmm. pay right so I would say that knowledge is a lot more accessible to everyone these days. I think the difficulty is actually uh like you say if if you don't have if you don't have someone to help you open that door right i think there are some other ways for example signing up for let's say there's a certain company you really want to join and they have workshops or they have like um networking sessions like just show up just just go for it that's the reason why they organize these events anyway and get to know the people working there um it's more of like you know just put yourself out there and Mm -hmm. and see what you you know Make yourself memorable, make yourself different, and hopefully people will remember you. And I think that is so much more efficient and cheaper than an MBA, for example.
0: Yeah. I mean, as, as someone who also vets through CVs for your for your firm, yeah. if someone had done a, um, say, you know, one of those uh, MOOCs courses like on Coursera or edX, how much weight does that actually hold?
1: Mm. I think that that holds a lot of weight for someone who is um, coming from a different degree, right? So if you are, let's say if you you, you did um, a Bachelor of Finance right, accounting finance and, and you're doing uh, Coursera just on finance, then it's, it's okay, but uh, it, it shows some initiative. But then again, I'm not sure like how, how different you are. But if let's say you're someone who came from... Uh, law and you're doing a lot of finance degrees and you're showing a clear interest in this right then it, it does indicate to me that you're actually a lower risk applicant than someone who did a law degree and it's not doing anything else you know they, they just they're just kind of it, it, it indicates to me that you maybe you're just thinking about pursuing finance at the moment or because it seems maybe because it seems like the right thing to do my friends are doing it it's it's cool or am I really interested in it and when I see those sort of things on their CV it indicates to me that this person has put um, effort into finding out what they're getting into i i this this online courses anyone can do them and and i don't know for sure whether you whether you've really listened to it whether you really understand right so
0: i would say that if you are bold enough to put it down your cv you better be prepared to answer questions on them do you think firms in in malaysia are willing to take on mid-career interns I think it's quite rare, and the reason for that is because
1: typically firms who bring on interns they either want to have, um, you know, a very vibrant workplace with young people. That's the that's the impression, um, and they want to give opportunities to them, or they're looking for um for it to be a ground for them to hire. Oftentimes, I think there's a bit of misalignment in terms of ex- in terms of expectations when you come in as a mid career intern. Am I compelled to take you on if you're good? you know, so I, I think if that is set up front, right, that uh, you're just here as an intern, um, just for you to learn, then it's all right. But I do see
0: some challenges to that, especially for firms in Malaysia. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um. So with that in mind, could, could we just um, sort of wrap wrap it up by yeah. um, some some key uh, points for for someone who is mid-career, who's thinking of uh, entering uh, private equity.
1: Yeah, so I
0: think for someone
1: mid-career, it's always going to be tough, especially um, moving into private equity where, uh, to be honest, it's, it's a very competitive industry and um, there are tons of people that want to come in, right? Uh, so the, the first pick is usually to... Look at people who have done MA, investment banking, finance, finance-related roles, simply because it's just so technical. So I would say that you know instead of kind of jumping typically what seems to be five steps ahead uh, into a role in private equity or buy-side investment, right? You know, start off where you can first. Um, you know start off by maybe taking a role uh, in in a big four to do transactions right and then maybe that will give you a a wider breadth of knowledge for you to then kind of funnel into more buy side roles um, for example like like private equity so I would say that it's not impossible but the route to to head to where you want to be as a mid-career person might just be a little bit longer Right. So yeah, my, my point is mainly that you might not get to where you want to be today, but it doesn't mean that you can never get there. And sometimes you just have to take small steps to head to where you want to go. And I think just pulling from my personal experience, right, I never knew where I was going to end up, actually. Not at all, uh, when I took up the role doing a corporate strategy at that time. And I was, I would say, very, very lucky to be able to move into private equity at a pretty young age and without having any finance uh, or, you know, belch bracket kind of background. And and you know it's it's kind of pulling on that thread of just do your best wherever you can, whenever someone gives you the opportunity, and hopefully when the time is right and the door opens for you, uh, because someone was kind enough to give you that door, then make sure that you're ready and that
0: you are at the best you can be to be able to get a seat. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amanda. Next time we'll be speaking to Joe Fan. He's the head of special projects at one of Malaysia's largest telecommunications companies. We'll be going in-depth into his journey from a law student to a legal tech startup and to his current innovations-focused role. It's going to be a great episode and you don't want to miss out. So stay tuned.